Welcome back to Russian Roulette, the podcast from the Russian Eurasia Program at the Center for Strategic International Studies. I'm your host, Jeff Mankoff. It is now my privilege to congratulate you. You are listening to the 100th episode of Russian Roulette. Who knew that uh, we would be around this long when we started this podcast uh, a couple of years ago? We couldn't have done it without all the people who've worked so hard to make it happen over the years, and of course, without you, our listeners. So thank you all very much. Now, on this, our 100th episode, I am going to talk with Tarakul Doorov, the director of Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's Kazakh service, who is based in Prague, and Aigirem Tolukhanova, a digital editor with the RFERL Kazakh service, who is joining us on the line from Almaty. We are going to talk about the coronavirus outbreak in Central Asia uh, and what its implications are for regional politics, economics, society, and much else. Um, it's a fascinating and somewhat disconcerting conversation. Um, we're all a little bit disconcerted right now, um, so hopefully this won't add to your overall level of disconcertion, um, but hopefully it will at least be informative and will give you something to do while you are locked down. So uh, thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Welcome back to Russian Roulette. I'm your host, Jeff Mankoff, and today I am joined remotely by Torokul Doorov, uh, director of Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's Kazakh service. Uh, he's joining us from Prague. And Aigirem Tolukhanova, who is a digital editor with RFERL's Kazakh service, uh, who is joining us from Almaty. Uh, Torokul Aigirem, thank you for joining us. Okay, Aigirem, let me start with you, since you're uh, on the ground in the region. Could you talk a little bit about how the uh, coronavirus epidemic looks in Kazakhstan, how the government is responding to it, and sort of, you know, what you've seen as the country and the society face this challenge? Uh, well, we are in a lockdown in Almaty. Um, I think it's over a week now, or about a week. Uh, the two biggest cities in Kazakhstan are in lockdown, Nur Sultan and Almaty, and um, they, the authorities have uh, restricted the access to the cities, and um, the services, entertainment services are not working, we just have um, pharmacies open and uh, grocery stores open. And uh, on the streets, there are some people walking, but I can see that the amount of cars has reduced significantly because the cars from Almaty region were not allowed to enter Almaty city um, because of the coronavirus situation. And I think that authorities so far responded pretty quickly with harsh measures, um, but I guess they were necessary to contain the virus spread spreading. Although uh, it ironically co coincided with um, the one-year anniversary since Nazarbayev uh, resigned, and on exactly that day, on 19th of March, as uh, they announced, um, like the the emer not the emergency, but the lockdown, I guess of the two cities because emergency situation was announced earlier. Yeah. And so we've heard here that um, Kazakhstan has had the, the largest number, at least of confirmed cases um, in Central Asia. Is that because the, the outbreak is, is worse there? Is it because testing has gone uh, more smoothly? There's more testing. Um, can you give us a sense of, of why that is? 
Um, I think that maybe it's because of traveling, because there are more people traveling through Kazakhstan as a transit country, and also there are many more foreigners who are um, traveling just uh, for business or for uh, tourism. And um, also, we have currently 80 cases, and today uh, authorities announced that uh, two people officially cured of coronavirus in Kazakhstan, and no death reports yet. We did have, I think, some problem with testing in the beginning, but uh, the Ministry of Healthcare has uh, ordered more than 200,000 test kits for now. And um, so far, I guess they are trying to expand the testing of the people who are who might be in potential contact with those infected. Uh, but in general, the authorities are just advising people to stay home because, as they say, if you are home, you don't need any masks and you don't need any test kits. So, yeah. Uh, and actually, uh, they advise that 70% of all the employers will be um, working remotely. And that's what I witnessed as well, because all of my friends and uh, my relatives also started to work from home. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that works for people who are in cities and who are, you know, in, in white collar industries. But how has this affected some of the, the more labor intensive uh, sectors for the energy industry, for example? I believe that, uh, unfortunately, this virus has hit the hardest, the most socially vulnerable groups. And, of course, even the lockdown of Almaty meant that thousands of people who were working in Almaty were not allowed to go to their work, were not allowed to be taxi drivers to earn their income. And um, a few days ago, Kasim Zomar Tokayev announced that uh, some of the people who were affected by this crisis will be given minimum wage, which is about $94 um, a month. And he said that it will be distributed among around one and a half million people. Uh, but today, uh, the Minister of Communication, Daudin Abayev, has um, had more details who will uh, qualify for this minimal wage. So it's not really clear if all those who were really affected uh, by this crisis will get this money. And regarding the energy industry, to be honest, I, I don't really know because it's in the west of Kazakhstan and I'm in southeast. Um, but in general, I would say that, of course, many people are struggling and uh, there were many layoffs and a lot of anxiety as well because um, everything happened so quickly and nobody expected that it would be that way. And some even uh, suggested it's all in order to do something behind the scenes in terms of political games. And there are lots of conspiracy theories and, of course, fake news uh, regarding this coronavirus. But yeah, it's um, hitting the most vulnerable the most. Yeah, the the question of of information and how people are, are processing it is is something I want to come back to. But first, let me go to to Torakul. So Torakul, we've heard a little bit about um, the situation in Kazakhstan. How does that compare with what you've seen uh, in other countries in the region in terms of both the effects on the population and steps the governments are taking to try and mitigate some of the consequences? 
Yeah, as you said before, um, now Kazakhstan is the first country where, first of all, COVID-19 was discovered, found, and later, because of in terms of numbers of uh, positive cases, today uh, it was announced that 80 cases were officially registered, and in um, the second place, if I can, if I may say like that, uh, stands Kyrgyzstan with uh, 44 um, cases. Kyrgyzstan actually is uh, uh, imposing a state of emergency. Uh, I believe now in half an hour it starts at uh, eight o'clock in the evening in capital Bishkek and two largest uh, cities uh, in the southern part of the country, Osh and Jalabad, uh, as well as other uh, small towns uh, in the south, Nokat, Karasu and uh, Suzak districts. Uh, so overall, uh, 44 positive cases reported today. And in neighboring Uzbekistan, the capital Tashkent went into lockdown yesterday uh, to slow the spread. And Uzbekistan has 55 confirmed coronavirus cases until now. I heard uh, that all of them found in Tashkent. Uh, no coronavirus uh, cases have been reported from two other countries in the region, um, from Turkmenistan and Tajikistan. But uh, our Turkmen service, uh, Radio Azat, reported uh, about one COVID-19 positive case uh, found from one Turkmen national in Cyprus. Uh, and Tajikistan. And, and again, you know, have they been testing, or um, is the fact that the numbers are zero the fact that they don't know, or the fact that they've completely closed the borders and, and prevented any cases from coming in? Speaking about Turkmenistan, there have no been any um, official information about coronavirus at all. But we heard about some preparations. Uh, uh, there was some cleaning, but n there was nothing like from official uh, authorities uh, about uh, coronavirus. That is why it is very difficult to say whether uh, they're hiding or, you know, there are actually no cases. Uh, we haven't heard about testing at all in these countries, in both countries. Uh, Tajikistan, for example, even didn't cancel the Nauru celebrations, the Persian New Year. So that is why um, uh, until now, these two countries in the region have not reported about any cases. How uh, prepared are the healthcare systems in these countries for dealing with an outbreak on this scale of what they might be facing? For healthcare system of the region and Central Asian countries, uh, I think it, it will be really a big test, first of all, in uh, stress. Now we are hearing a lot about the shortage of uh, um, basic sanitary stuff, like even masks, uh, antiseptics, and this kind of... Uh, uh, we are not talking about uh, test kits. We don't know how many test kits uh, they have. Now, I get him said about order to more than 220 tests, from uh, which will should come to the country in the end of this week. And uh, yesterday, uh, Kazakhstan's Minister of Information, Daurian Abayev, who is actually now the main coronavirus representative, like uh, spokesman on the situation uh, from the government, has told about 15,000 tests uh, have already been held. But I haven't heard much about other countries yet, especially about Kyrgyzstan. But w what we have seen, uh, several patients, uh, those people who are tested positive uh, in Bishkek. They were um, sharing with uh, the situation in the quarantine in hospitals, uh, so-called hospitals. Some of them were held in former American U.S. air base in Manas. 
for example, and uh, and some patients were uh, posting pictures, which was a building of a, a women's prison uh, before. So they were saying basically the conditions are horrible, um, no heating, uh, no ventilation, um, and no basic uh, uh, sanitary stuff. So that is why it is very difficult to assess with what kind of pressure and difficulties uh, uh, this local uh, medical care system uh, faces now. Mm-hmm. I get him coming back to Kazakhstan. What kind of messages has the government been putting out? How have they been trying to communicate to people the need to, to take this seriously? Uh, well, first of all, it came from the president himself. He, um, on almost like all the latest photos, he appears with masks and tries to keep social distancing. And mostly authorities are saying not to panic to people and uh, trying to reassure that um, Minister of Healthcare is buying enough testing kits and doing everything they can to to fight this virus. But on the ground, people are still um, very... Um, um, they, they don't really believe, not every person, of course, but uh, some people, for example, there were news last week that there were... Uh, three deaths from coronavirus in Kazakhstan and it turned out to be a mistake uh, in the data aggregator somewhere um, it's called worldometer or something and also John Hopkins University uh, that has its own coronavirus map also got this wrong data and reported that there were three deaths from Kazakhstan and I've seen many even um, journalists and editors who were like, do we trust um, the Kazakh Minister of Healthcare or the international data? So, um, yes, yeah, there is. And it turns out that the distrust. Kazakh ministry was accurate in this case. Yeah, because they are the ones who are giving out the statistics to those international um, stats aggregators, right? So uh, it cannot be like vice versa because they are gathering the information on the ground. But still, um, people uh, have this high level of distrust. And of course, it is uh, understandable because uh, in many cases, Kazakh government lied to people or said something and then didn't keep its promise. So of course, people um, have some reason to distrust the government. But what I found uh, with this uh, coronavirus crisis is actually how government is trying to be transparent about this. And they would report every new case. In, in the beginning, they they had the, the representative of the Minister of Healthcare, Diaz Ahmed Sharip. He would go live on Facebook every time there is new case of coronavirus confirmed. But then they decided that the Minister of Information, Daurian Abayev, will do this. And they created an official website called coronavirus2020.kz and official map with coronavirus spreading, so-called spreading, yeah. Although it did cause some panic among people because they thought it's the amount of people that were already infected. And this map showed actually the amount of people who are in quarantine those who arrive from high-risk countries. 
So far, this is how it is in Kazakhstan. If I may jump in here, actually, um, how I get him said it's very interesting how this information is being now uh, circulated around not only ordinary people but uh, professionals, uh, journalists. We are in uh, many cases in different difficult situation because some governments in our post-Soviet area might uh, even hide some sort of information. What we see now from Russia, for example, until now only one death case and this is uh, actually creates some kind of doubts um, not only among uh, medical scientists but uh, you know um, ordinary people how come it is uh, you know we are hearing about hundreds of cases but uh, only one death was reported and there were some other several cases where officially they were reported uh, that they died not because of coronavirus but with some other illnesses so it depends on how um, officials not even medical personnel here how they interpreted it and in that uh, case it was interesting to see how agrim said now that uh, for in the first place kazakh authorities mainly health authorities were reporting about the situation later situation but later uh, it was decided that uh, from now uh, we will hear all the latest news on coronavirus situation from the minister of information in ordinary kazakhstanis they uh, like uh, with you know humor they're calling him as a minister of truth mm-hmm. hey, a slightly orwellian twist so you, you've talked about distrust of of government and whether it's <clears throat> whether it's telling people the the full truth about the situation one of the things that we've seen in other countries including in the United States um is an upsurge of distrust of particular communities um in the US a lot of the backlash has been directed against Chinese Americans and and Asian Americans um uh, because the the disease originated in China has there been a similar kind of of backlash or scapegoating against particular populations um whether it's migrants or or chinese or, or anything else um in central asia uh well i can jump in and say like in kazakhstan there is a, indeed a high level of xenophobia and it was long before any coronavirus uh but with this cr- healthcare crisis i've noticed that people became scared not uh only of chinese but all of all the travelers who are coming to Kazakhstan because whenever government announced that they will evacuate Kazakhstan citizens from different countries i've seen people on uh, commenting something like why don't you just let them stay there why are you spreading this disease to Kazakhstan and this was especially uh, very um vivid when the kazakh authorities uh, wanted to evacuate people from Wuhan now uh the authorities are still trying to evacuate the rest of the uh, Kazakh citizens although uh, yesterday I think they announced that all of them should pay for their own uh, tickets because before they spent um millions of tenge to uh evacuate the citizens back and this money could be spent on healthcare needs such as buying masks or protective uh, suits for the medical uh, workers yeah yeah if i may add some on on this uh, xenophobic um, situation coronavirus actually sparked um, a sort of uh, xenophobic sentiment 
Of course, it was even before, as Egerim said, for example, a whole last year, we have seen how many anti-China protest demonstrations in the country. But uh, this time, this sentiment in different countries of Central Asia, in it was in early days of the outbreak, mainly, when we haven't heard about any cases there. Uh, ordinary people, for example, they were discussing it mainly in social media. One could easily find, for example, um, disturbing videos or messages about how Chinese are dirty eating everything, and that they are always spreading bad viruses in the, around the world, etc. In what, WhatsApp, for example, in WhatsApp groups, um, some people in Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan, uh, I have like, I'm in several groups among my uh, relatives from Kyrgyzstan, and colleagues in Kazakhstan, and they were um, telling that uh, COVID-19 is threat only for Chinese, for example, or, you know, because this is made against Chinese uh, with their DNA, or some other others were saying that Muslims cannot be infected. I don't know, this kind of uh, very, uh, you know, interesting messages were in, in those um, statements. And these all were a part of probably a big stream of fake news. And uh, But these types of anti-China callings uh, were not only in the Central Asia, as you said, in America, we're also hearing now a lot, but in Europe and in my neighborhood, for example, in Prague, where I live, one restaurant even had a sign saying, uh, no Chinese will be served in the restaurant due to coronavirus. But today, I think uh, we don't hear anymore. I don't know. I've, I'm not receiving this kind of messages anymore. Uh, this sort of sentiments, uh, statements, uh, probably because they're hearing horrible statistics now about COVID-19 from Italy, for example, Spain, United States, uh, from like uh, Iran. Yeah. So let's go back to this disinformation and, and misinformation question. Um, Toroko, you mentioned the, the amount of bad information that is circulating uh, on social media, just as a result of people being uninformed and, and scared. And then there's also the, the deliberately spread um, disinformation that in the United States, of course, is linked sometimes to other countries, to, to Russia and, and China and others. Is there similar concern in Central Asia about outside actors using the situation to manipulate public opinion for their own ends? And has there, have you seen evidence of deliberately, maliciously spread disinformation connected to the outbreak? Oh, yes. Um, uh, at the beginning, uh, apart from what we were hearing from ordinary people about some kind of conspiracy theories, like, you know, was like officially or uh, secretly uh, spread in China, it's probably against China's Ch Chinese, or some like uh, Russian media was, uh, for example, sometimes uh, saying very... Um, disturbing information uh, spreading about corona how it came why why it's called corona uh, you know there were so many this kind of information but what was for me interesting that uh, how officials uh, in chinese government was uh, kind of trying to use or change their you know narrative uh, about COVID-19 recently. For example, in the middle of March, um, Chinese ambassador to Kazakhstan, uh, Zhang Xiao, he posted an aggressive message on Facebook um, accusing the United States for outbreak. He was saying the uh, US, uh, and he didn't say US, but it like it was hinted, 
um, that instead of fighting against COVID-19 on time, uh, was calling it a Chinese virus. This narrative is not uh, new now, of course. Uh, we have seen in recent days uh, the same kind of um, accusations from several uh, Chinese uh, diplomats in other countries. And the, ironically, they are posting it on Twitter, uh, despite the fact that Twitter and Facebook are blocked in, in the country. So, yes, uh, we, we, we are hearing different, different types of officially filtered, not statements, but the names of this virus in different countries of the region. Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote a, a whole article about fake news and disinformation in Kazakhstan about coronavirus outbreak. And uh, apart from ridiculous WhatsApp messages uh, that uh, were spreading wildly about um, something like, don't buy flowers ahead of March 8th because these flowers are pumped with coronavirus from China, or if you drink water every 15 minutes, you will get rid of coronavirus. Or something like if you find a, a hair in Quran and you need to boil it and drink, in, drink it and that's how you cure from coronavirus. But there are still um, some, some uh, group of people who are actually um, so distrustful of healthcare system in Kazakhstan or in general um, every institution in Kazakhstan that they don't believe any single official uh, statistics. For example, I have a friend who is an anti-vaccine um, activist and she was recently posting on Instagram a lies that in Italy there were only two people dead and coronavirus is not a like a disease even. It doesn't exist. It was created by someone uh, to to do something to to allow authorities to do something behind the scenes. Again, this conspiracy series. And um, I felt a responsibility as a journalist to answer at least about the lies that there were not just two people died in Italy, but at that time it was three and a half thousand people. But um, there were many followers, her followers. She has a very popular Instagram blog that questions where did I get this data and uh, they accused me of defending the old system and being part of the lying media and etc etc so yeah there are some movements like this and um, because indeed some people don't really believe any official words they are very suspicious even of the numbers of uh, the, the confirmed cases because uh, in the beginning for example when all the outbreak happened in China, and as you all know, uh, Kazakhstan is bordering with China, many people were uh, suspicious that we still don't have any single case, yet there were um, over a thousand people in quarantine, and people really didn't believe that there is not a single case confirmed from these thousands of people, um, because healthcare authorities were saying that these people are not sick with coronavirus, but with a simple flu or some acute respiratory disease that is not coronavirus. And there was some ridiculous moment um, in the beginning of March where the chief sanitary doctor, Jandar Bekshin, actually said that he predicts that coronavirus will uh, be confirmed in Kazakhstan finally uh, between the March 11th and March uh, 16th. 
And there were lots of jokes about it on uh, on the internet, saying that, yeah, Kazakhstan is inviting coronavirus, Jandar Bekbekshin is a, a predictor, um, etc. But uh, actually, it was the case. Uh, first coronavirus case was announced in, in this period. Uh, but as of now, this chief sanitary doctor actually has resigned and there is another chief sanitary doctor in place, a female. I don't remember her name, unfortunately. Okay. So we've covered the the sort of dark side of, of great power rivalry. Um, one of the other things that we've been seeing a lot of is uh, countries like China and Russia trying to position themselves as um, providers of, of assistance to even countries like Italy um, in the European Union as a way of uh, helping out with the, with the outbreak, but also positioning themselves as, I guess, what you would call responsible uh, stakeholders. Um, has there been a, a similar effort undertaken uh, towards the countries in Central Asia? Have we seen uh, efforts to provide any kind of, of uh, financial or uh, other assistance uh, on the part of, of China, Russia, or, or anybody else? Uh, I believe that Tokayev has spoken to Xi Jinping recently and uh, he said that China will provide some humanitarian aid, but I don't know the details. Yes, I, I also haven't heard. Uh, but uh, yesterday, uh, the Minister of um, Information, Dr. Napayev, was saying that uh, they're ordering those tests, more than 220 tests from China. But I haven't heard about uh, humanitarian aid. Probably I missed. Or it hasn't happened yet. I mean... Yeah, they, there was just a negotiation, I guess, and they came to a certain conclusion to help. But this help hasn't been sent yet. Yeah. I know in the middle of all of this and being uncertain how it's going to play out or how long any of this is going to last, it, it's, it's very hard to think about what the future might look like. But obviously... This epidemic is a, a watershed, uh, not just in Central Asia, but for a lot of the world. Um, and I wonder if you have thoughts about what the long-term implications are for politics, for economics, for just the, the basic uh, state of affairs um, in the countries that you, that you cover. I would say that um, this crisis, uh, of course, as you mentioned, uh, discovered lots of problems, not only in one area of medicine or in uh, public care, but also in politics and in uh, many, many areas. Uh, we have discovered that we are not ready in this, you know, this kind of uh, outbreak. And we are now forced to change uh, the entire understanding of doing business in many areas. For, for more or less uh, developing countries of Central Asia, I think it's a it's really, really difficult uh, situation now uh, because um, in many countries they're even expecting, for example, this year several elections uh, in, for example, in Kyrgyzstan, uh, in Kazakhstan. We are we constantly live with um, expectation of announcement of early elections. In some other countries, uh, it discovered the problem of uh, distrust complete uh, distrust to government. In many cases, uh, as Aigiri mentioned, it uh, hit very, very socially uh, unstable part of um, a society. You know, how these governments will cope with these whole problems, it is very difficult now to even imagine. 
And I think it, it's going to last long. I think it will take at least half a year until everything will come to some sort of normality. But I'm not even sure about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, Torokul is right. It's uh, it's unprecedented crisis and... Um, it shows how uh, interconnected the world is and how the global trade has stopped uh, because recently Kazakhstan also announced that it will uh, put some restrictions on um, export of certain uh, goods that are produced in Kazakhstan to be able to um, meet the demands of the um, internal like population of Kazakhstan and uh, all the Planes are cancelled, um, no buses, I mean, no um, inter-city uh, buses, uh, no uh, trains. It's all um, very uh, new for everyone, not just in Central Asia, but around the world. And of course, there are many people um, who um, don't believe that this is that serious and they continue to uh, break the rules. Um, some people escape from quarantine, some people uh, ignore and continue going to or opening their entertainment centers uh, because it's, it's all new and I believe that with a few months past, probably it will be uh, really difficult for not just the people to deal with home isolation but also for the governments to uh, operate. Um, but I also believe that in Central Asia there is a um, possibility that um, this kind of state of emergency and isolation of people would enable to continue doing authoritarian practices. Yeah, because right now, during the state of emergency, the protests are not allowed and all the public gatherings are not allowed. And last week, uh, I believe, uh, uh, Minister of Information Dorian Abayev said that people should stay home while government is doing their job and continuing to work on certain, on certain laws. And there, are, there were recently a few controversial uh, legislative projects that... Uh, uh, caused a lot of public unrest regarding the protests, regarding other things as it concerns civil rights. And uh, nobody knows at what stage they are now, who is voting and uh, how we will see the final result and if the public's opinion will be even counted on that because right now everything is unprecedented. Like Nobody knows what's going on, even the government, I'm sure. Um, but in, in the long term, I think they might take advantage of this situation. Yeah, and that's a concern that, that goes beyond Central Asia and is, is something that we've seen happen in a, in a number of countries where un insecure leaders have taken advantage of the, of the upheaval to, to try and push through somewhat draconian restrictions on, on public gatherings and, and used it as an excuse to consolidate power. One of the other things, I suppose, that is worth watching, one of the big positive stories in Central Asia in the last couple of years has been um, the much higher degree of regional cooperation um, and integration that we've seen, um, especially since um, the new government came to power in Uzbekistan. And if one of the results of, of this pandemic is 
the closing of borders, the cutting of transit links. I think there could be longer term fallout in terms of, of developing that kind of regional cooperation um, and building trade links that has been um, such a, an important story over the last couple of years. Yes. And also, uh, I just want to make uh, one point that this is coincident with a very low price of oil, the main, main product of uh, Kazakhstan, for example. And that is why um, the uh, national currency's um, pr- um, value is very dropping much. It creates now even more vulnerability for the political system of the country. And uh, that is why it will be very, for me, if it will be uh, very interesting to see how the government will respond to the situation in coming months. Right. Yeah, they they don't have much ability to control oil prices. They don't have the, the foreign reserves to prop up the currency. So in some ways, they're going to be riding the whirlwind on this. Yeah. Can I just add, uh, with this devaluation of currency, actually some people uh, were hit very hard by this devaluation because some of the traders, for example, they buy the products in dollars. And uh, because of this instability, they keep rising um, their prices and um, for some people uh, the devaluation of currency is even worse news than spreading of coronavirus so it's uh, really uh, not a good timing to have it both um, in one time right and because the countries in, in Central Asia are import dependent for a lot of their everyday goods um, you're right I think this this becomes a much bigger problem there's you don't have the same opportunities for import substitution that you have in in a country like Russia say so yeah the the fact that imports get more expensive and that it's harder to to get access to some of these goods um, both because of, of the devalued currency and because of, of um, the clampdown on on movement is is going to be something that I think will have longer term consequences consequences as well. Great. Well, Protocol, I get him. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay safe and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you again soon. Yeah. So hope we'll survive. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Thank you, Jeff. Okay, that's it for our show today. Thanks again for joining. You can find a link to Torokul's and Igetim's bios in the show notes. You can also follow uh, them on Twitter. Torokul is at Torokul. That's at T-O-R-O-K-U-L. And Igetim is at uh, Igetim A. So that's at A-Y-G-E-R-Y-M-A. If you haven't done so, you should subscribe to uh, Russian Roulette on iTunes, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And if you don't use iTunes, you can check us out uh, and subscribe on either Google Play or SoundCloud. You can also follow us on Twitter at CSIS Russia, or you can follow me directly at Dr. J. Mankoff. And of course, as always, big thank you to everybody who works so hard to make the podcast happen. That includes, uh, in particular, our producer, research associate, and program manager, Roxana Gabidulina, and the entire CSIS external relations and iLab team. Thanks for listening and stay safe.